today we're starting a brand new series for the next couple weeks leading up to Christmas that I've called Christmas Presents. And I've distinctly made it different than Christmas Presents. You know, uh, and so I want, you to, I want you to catch that because we're going to be talking about God with us this morning. And, and last week we did week one of the Advent which marks the beginning of the Christmas season, the countdown to Christmas. But more importantly, Advent is the countdown to the arrival of Christ. And so, fellas, Christmas is coming. You better get on it, okay? If you're a late bloomer. Um, I, I'm, I, I, Amazon Prime is the way to go. <laughs> It'll, it'll be here in, in a couple of days, but it's starting to, those days are getting further and further apart, I'm just going to say. But the, significant, the significance of Christ's arrival has had a historical and a global impact um, on humanity. It's why we're, we're, we don't just give and receive presents on, the, on Christmas Day. It's, we're not just celebrating that. We're celebrating the arrival of his presence. John phrased it this way, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son and the father, full of grace and truth. This is what I mean by God's presence, that God with us, God for us. And one of the things that I love about scripture is the imperfections, is the imperfect people that God has to work with and chooses to work with. And this morning's story is, is one of those imperfect moments. It's a real God using real people to advance the kingdom on earth. And the story of Jesus doesn't start very pretty. It doesn't start um, like a, a magical uh, Disney story. It starts as a messy, uh, mixed up, confusing story. At the very least, it, it does for Mary and Joseph. And I want to read you um, what Matthew records about their story. Matthew 1 verse 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name 
Jesus. So up to this point, Matthew has been unpacking the lineage of Christ. From, from Matthew, all of Matthew, excuse me, all of Matthew 1, 1 to 17, it's all the begats and, and, and this person uh, and that person. Moving from generation to generation. And while there are many miraculous occurrences that happen within the ancestry of Jesus, this is the most significant of all of that birth plan. This has been the point since the beginning, from this person begetting this person to begetting that person to begetting this person. This has been the crescendo. This has been the purpose. And, and, and we read this word now. Matthew's very intentional by putting this because he wants to distinguish the difference between all of those births that have preceded Jesus. And he says, that's what happened. This person, this person, this person, this person. Now, the birth of Jesus is different. The birth of Jesus doesn't take place like the begetting story that I've just unpacked. Now, the birth of Christ took place this way, meaning it's not like every other birth in the family tree. When we read this story of a young couple in love and they're, they're getting married, we might say, we might understand this, the betrothal idea as an arranged marriage. And this is something that was common practice in that day that mom and dad would sit down with mom and dad and they would say, hey, what, what, is, what needs to happen here for our families to blend? And so we see this process happening. And step one in the betrothal process is no different than today, really. It's an engagement. This is, the, this is where we find them. They're in phase one of the betrothal process. They're engaged to be married. And really, at this point, Joseph and Mary are just trying to connect. They're just trying to see who they are with one another. They're just trying to establish a relationship. And we get that. And, and, and engagement in their, in their point in time in history was, was about a year, sometimes more, sometimes less. Which, which again, for us, we're like, yeah, that's a typical engagement. A year or so, sometimes less, sometimes more. And so we can understand that. And step two was the official arrangements. The church, the venue, the dinner, the toast, and the legally binding marriage arrangement. And lastly the consummation of the marriage. All of which, all of which was celebrated and witnessed by family and friends. I'm gonna just leave that. Well, when I say witnessed, that, that part wasn't witnessed, but there was a specific, um, I don't know how to say it delicately. There was a specific sign that the parents would retrieve to show they had consummated the marriage. I'll leave it at that. You can do some homework if you are really interested in what that means. However, before they get to this second step of the betrothal um, process, Mary's starting to show the baby bump. Mary's starting to uh, round out, as it were. And, and a bump that Joseph is fully aware he didn't cause. Come on, somebody. But we get this information as the reader. As the reader of the story, we get to see what, where the line says, 
uh, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. We get that from the Holy Spirit. Joseph doesn't get to read his story. He gets to live his story. And when we, when we read that, we understand and we, we, we need to understand that Matthew is pointing out something very specific that he's going to point out a few times. Actually, he points it out seven times throughout this story. This is a divine conception. Mary has nothing to do with bringing this baby into existence. Joseph has nothing to do with bringing this baby into existence. The Holy Spirit, God the Father, has everything to do with bringing this baby into existence. So while we read this is a work of the Holy Spirit, Joseph only gets to read this. Before they came together, she was found to be with child. That's it. Imagine that for a moment. Your, your soon-to-be wife begins to show the baby bump, and you know that that's not your baby bump. And before we pass by the story, I, I, because I want to focus on Joseph's response, but I want to also notice Mary's lack of response. She, there's no questioning of it. And, and she would have known, you know, the, the female body has indicators when you're pregnant. She would have like, huh, I'm no mathematician, but it's been a few days. She would have known that something had changed in her body and, and she's aware. She never questions the validity of the, of the conception. And you know why I think that is? I think Luke tells us why that is because she's had the conversation that Joseph hasn't. She's had this moment with the angel where the, this is Luke 35, 1.35, the Holy Spirit, this is what the angel has said to her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. She never questions it. But Joseph is in the dark. He's not privy to that conversation. He thinks Mary has been unfaithful, and she has broken their engagement. He knows that he isn't the father of the baby. And in an effort to spare her shame and death, he says, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with this quietly. I'm going to just, just dissolve the engagement and just kind of go our separate ways. I'm going to just, you know, I don't want Mary to be hurt because being unfaithful was punishable by death. Being caught in adultery was punishable by death. And, and so I love that Matthew recognizes something about Joseph. Being a just man. See, he could have been an evil man. He could have been a vengeful man. He could have been a jealous man. He could have been a man who sought a pound of flesh. But Joseph is a just man, and he says, you know what, that's not right. The punishment is not right. 
And so his plan is to dissolve the marriage. And, and I just try to put myself in Joseph's headspace. Imagine the turmoil that he's experiencing. The grief, the betrayal, the, the shock, the how could you do this to me? And yet, even with all of that emotional baggage that takes place, the Bible still refers to him as a just man. He still has love for Mary. He says, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to deal with this. And he's, he's so caught up with it to the point of exhaustion, and he finally falls asleep. Have you ever had something that's just on your mind that's kept you awake and you just can't, can't get it out of your mind? It just turns over and turns over and turns over until finally you fall asleep but that's the last thing that you were thinking about? This is where I find Joseph. This is what I, what I think about Joseph. And even while he's asleep, he's still thinking about it. And then in a dream, he encounters an angel who finally reads Joseph into his own story. He says, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Once again, when I read that, when you read that, we need to understand that Matthew is saying, this wasn't Mary's doing. This wasn't Matthew's, um, this wasn't Joseph's doing. This was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He's reiterating it for us. He wants us to understand as his readers and as his listeners that this was a divine conception. It was brought about by the Holy Spirit. And while in the dream, as he comforts Joseph's ego and his heart, he says, this is what I need you to do for me. I need you to know that this is going to be a male, and I need you to know that this is going to be his name. See, in this period of time, the men named the babies. Not so much anymore. It was there, the father's honor. It was the father's right to look his child in the eyes for the first time and speak destiny over that child. The name was a trajectory path for that child. The name was significant about the purpose of that child's life. And I love that God doesn't take that away from Joseph. But I also like that Joseph doesn't take that away from God. God says, hey, you get to name the child. You get the credit, but here's what I want you to call this child. Because here is the path of this child's life. He will save his people from their sins. That's the messy, not so fun Christmas story that Mary and Joseph experience. I don't know, if I didn't know the end of the story, if I would sign up for that. But you know what is really, truly interesting to me? Is that Matthew is simply telling their story to reveal that it's a story within a story. And he says this, all of this took place. Mary's pregnancy, Joseph's turmoil, an unplanned baby, an almost wrecked marriage. All of this takes place to fulfill what Isaiah said. 
All this takes place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, here's, here's a struggle that I'm just going to be open and honest with. I always question how to take a prophecy of the Old Testament and bring it into the New Testament without it losing its context. I'm always like unsure because here's, here's the truth. Anybody can rip a scripture from the Bible out of its context and say, this is what it means. This is what it means. I have this scripture. And, and this is what it means. And so I'm always like, okay, what is Matthew? Is Matthew ripping it out of its proper context and just saying, hey, this is what it means. And, and that's never the case within the Bible. But it does make me question it. Because in Scripture, in biblical interpretation, context matters. Cultural context, historical context, grammatical context, it all matters to fully understand God's Word. And, and the passage with and the difficulty with this passage is that Isaiah's words, his prophecy, would have needed to be fulfilled in his time, in the day of King Ahaz. These are the words Isaiah speaks to him. This is, and, and if you've read the word, you know that a false prophet, guess what the punishment is? You get to be hit with rocks until you're dead. And so it had to be fulfilled in his time too. And it is. So here's the context of, of the original world word. Ahaz is, is having trouble with his enemy. Israel is kind of on the ropes. They're losing their footing. They're, they're all but done. And Ahaz is like, you know what? I'm going to get some help from some of the surrounding armies. And God comes to him through Isaiah and says, no, 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 don't do that. Trust me. I'm going to see you through to the victory. And Ahaz is like, ah, okay. And God's like, no, no, no. Here, test me in this. You tell me a sign you would like to see, Ahaz, and I will perform it for you. So Ahaz could have said anything. I want Skittles to fall from the sky. But Ahaz says, no, no, no. You know what, God? I don't need a sign from you. I don't need anything. I, I'm going to trust you. And God says, you know what? I'm going to give you a sign anyway. A child is going to be born and his name is going to be Emmanuel. I'm going to be with you. You can find this, this story in Isaiah 7, 14 to 15. And so, and, and we can see the fulfillment in chapter 8 of this baby who's born. They name him, they name him actually Plunder. Because God is going to plunder the surrounding armies. We see this child. And so then I say, okay, I see the fulfillment of this word in this time. So how does it apply to Jesus? And, and for that, I did, I did a deep dive on this. And the best answer that I came up with, and I love this answer, it comes from John Piper. And he says, he, he refers to this type of prophecy as a preliminary partial fulfillment in Isaiah's day. Meaning that it is partly fulfilled in that moment. But when we get to Jesus, it is completely 
fulfilled. And I was like, I can, I can understand that. Basically, what Isaiah is experiencing is a foreshadow of Jesus. This is showing victory for Israel and Ahaz in this time. But when Jesus comes, it's a victory over sin for humanity. It's a foreshadowing. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken. There are two main themes presented. And, And I just want to, before I go into my closing, and then I love this because it says, Joseph woke from his sleep, did as the angel, the, uh, the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but knew her not. He didn't even want the idea that he had anything to do with the conception of this child to take place. So again, remember that whole witnessing process? He has to come out of the, the tent and say, you know what, I'm just not feeling it today. And he has to prolong that until she... Because, because again, Matthew is revealing to us this is a divine conception. There's, there's no question about it. Joseph can say, hey, where's the sheep? Provide the proof that we consummated our marriage. There's no proof. I had nothing to do with this child's conception. And that's important. And so there, there are two main themes that Matthew's telling us of Jesus' birth. First, he wants to make that very clear to us. This is a divine conception. He reinforces it many times. It's by the Holy Spirit. It's by the Holy Spirit. Joseph hadn't laid with her. Joseph did it, took her as his wife, but didn't consummate the marriage. He reiterates it over and over again so that you and I as readers and listeners can understand there's a significant power in this birth. And that's because it sets the stage for the significance of a divine death and subsequent resurrection. Mary is the virgin and that the Holy Spirit is the initiator of this pregnancy. Meaning God is at work in their story. And this is important because it, His divine conception credits the divine salvation that we've experienced through the cross of Christ. And this is critical. I love what Matthew Henry says. This is so significant. This is what we need to see here. By the light of nature, we see God as God above. So when we look around creation and all of its um, majesty and its Uh, you know, its differences. And we see God as God above. Like, look at how much he's created. You just fly over the Rockies. And if you're not filled with like, wow, look at God. Woo. I, I don't know. You might be dead inside if you don't feel that, okay? And then he says, by the light of the law, we see him as God against us. And I'm like, yep, I see that. That we see that, that tearing, uh, that divide between human and God and, and the sacrifice of blood to kind of bridge that gap. Like, yeah, I see that as God against us. Yeah, I can see that, Matthew. But by the light of the gospel, we see a spelling mistake. We see him as Emmanuel, 
God with us in our nature and, which is more, in our interest. When we find baby Jesus, we find God for us. The Christmas story is the moment we see God as for us and not against us. We become sons and daughters of the Most High. We see a God who's so incredibly in love with you and incredibly in love with me that he actually enters the story himself to rescue us from our sin. Come on, somebody. And there are two ways to respond to the telling of this type of Christmas story. We can look at all of the impossibilities. We can look at all of the the question marks and say, it's not possible to have a child without consummating the marriage. We can look at the difficulties and we can look at that. Well, how does Joseph know it was really a, a God dream and it wasn't a slice of pizza he had the night before that wasn't sitting right? We can look at that and we can say, nope, that story just doesn't make sense. Or we can look at those same impossibilities and see how much God loves us. That, that not even the impossible would stop our God. And we know with God, all things are possible. But in our human minds, in our human intellect, we can see that these impossibilities, God just hurdles because of his love for you and for me. And so I come to this conclusion. Don't head into this Christmas without knowing Emmanuel for yourself. Without knowing God is with you for yourself. I want to close with this. If you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, can I tell you that today is the day of salvation? Don't put it off. Don't put it off until you... You, you think, well, okay, my days are numbered. Now I better pull the heaven ripcord, the parachute. Make Jesus your Lord and Savior today. Or, or maybe you've fallen away and you have forgotten how much God loves you. Let today serve as a reminder that you are so loved by God that he came to rescue you. If that's you in the house, I want you to know it's time to come home. No questions asked. No sins to be uh, lifted up in front of everybody for all of them to see how, how wrong you've been. No, 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 none of that. No shame. But a welcome home party. I'm going to ask everybody to close their eyes. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope that you have a blessed week.